Hi, this is Ellie Fishman. Welcome to part two of our evaluation of the spleen, challenges in diagnosis. And we were speaking um, before on part one about accessory spleens, about splenules, about some of the pitfalls. And one of the biggest challenges we do see is intrapancreatic accessory spleens. Usually it's very easy to know what they are, but sometimes they can simulate neuroendocrine tumors of the pancreatic tail. And the key, of course, is how do you make that distinction without uh, doing an invasive procedure like surgery? We all have seen patients in the past who've gone to surgery, what was thought to be a neuroendocrine tumor, and it ended up being a splenule. So what can we do to avoid this problem? Now, one of the simplest things to remember, although both um, neuroendocrine tumors and accessory spleens are vascular, the vascularity of these accessory spleens mirrors the spleen's normal enhancement on both arterial and venous phase imaging. And arterial phase imaging classically has that moray pattern. You'll never see that moray pattern in a neuroendocrine tumor. So that can be very important. In this article by Stephanie Colquia, although not statistically significant, several other findings helped differentiate the spleen from neuroendocrine tumors. All IPASs in the study were located at the tip or within 3CM of the tip of the tail of the pancreas. Therefore, if enhancing lesion is more than several CM away from the tip of the pancreas, it's likely a neuroendocrine tumor. Well, that makes all the sense in the world. To me, the problems are not the ones that are three or four CM away. It's the ones that are abutting the tail of the pancreas or just anterior or just posterior by the tail of the pancreas. Here's a good example of a patient who was a potential renal donor. What is this lesion by the pancreas? If that's a neuroendocrine tumor, this patient will not be a donor. What is that? You can see it here as I narrow the window. Now, if you look, the spleen is in part visible, and it's identical to the spleen in terms of enhancement. Most neuroendocrine tumors will be more vascular, but to be fair, some neuroendocrine tumors are not very vascular. You can see, as we look at the coronal views, this is really a match between the spleen and the accessory spleen. Here it is in the cinematic as well, and we've been using cinematic as a way of making that distinction as well. This case was more tricky because this was five centimeters of spleen, but it sure looks like pancreas. There's textural changes. Maybe it's an infiltrating tumor. I don't think you would think about autoimmune pancreatitis, but if you look at the enhancement, it's identical to the spleen, but you know, it's really large and it's really inseparable from the tail of the pancreas. So you can understand why everybody was concerned this could be a neuroendocrine tumor, but as you look carefully, particularly the image on the right, it's really identical in appearance to the spleen, and so this was an accessory splenule. Now, what happens when you really can't figure it out well, that happens every once in a while. Then what you should recommend is additional testing such as technetium labeled heat damage red blood cells or MR. MR, very much like CT, looks at the same appearance, looks at the uh, signal between the spleen, the classic, and the accessory spleen to make the diagnosis. In this article by Ba, 10 of 303 patients, 303 patients who underwent a distal pancreatectomy had a final pathology of an accessory spleen. Okay, so you could see, although we'd like to think it's a very simple decision, it's not always. 
Lesions range in size from 7 millimeters to 5 centimeters with a mean of 2 centimeters. Lesions were described as round, well-marginated, and enhancing masses within the pancreatic tail. Preoperative workup was variable in terms of imaging and lab testing. Diagnostic workups were examined and combined with multidisciplinary input to create a diagnostic algorithm. So you can see it's a potential pitfall, but it's one we should be able to avoid. Here's another one. Is that an accessory spleen or is it a tumor? There it is right there. Kind of looks more like the spleen. You could look at the density measurements, both early and late phase imaging, and this was indeed an accessory spleen. But you could see the challenge of why if someone argued with you, it would be a very difficult decision. Here it is with cinematic rendering. We are looking at how well cinematic can be used in these scenarios to be helpful. The patient does get a tag red blood cell to make certain, and there it is, it's splenic tissue, so it's really a easy diagnosis. Classic leave alone lesion. What about this case? There's a lesion in the tail of the pancreas, but if you look at it, it really looks in contiguity, is contiguous, not contiguity, contiguous with the spleen. But of course, many splenules are, or at least they seem to be. But when you start looking at this, what about its enhancement? Well, the enhancement seems to be brighter than the spleen. Particularly as we look at some of these images here, it maintains its increased attenuation on venous phase imaging. So on the arterial phase, I would be more likely thinking about a spleen. On the venous phase, because it's brighter than the spleen, and we say they need to match, I'm saying this is a neuroendocrine tumor, which this indeed was. Here it is on the uh, MIP and volume rendered images, really showing you the differentiation very nicely and making this into less of a problem. Here it is on the uh, cinematic rendering, nicely shown as well, right there. So again, perhaps cinematic rendering, which shows us better texture mapping, is going to be more helpful. You can see the texture map here shows that the splenule, or suspected splenule, which is a neuroendocrine tumor, is definitely different than the spleen. And if it was a splenule, the texture mapping should be the same for both of them, which is not. Now, we talk about normal variations of splenic anatomy. One that's interesting is a wandering spleen. Spleen migrates from its normal position due to congenital or required laxity of the splenic suppensatory ligament. And the problem is the spleen, because it can wander, can twist its pedicle and infarct. And here's a patient with abdominal pain. There's a mass which is modeled in enhancement. Here's more enhancement than this. This is actually the spleen with a large infarction of the spleen. This patient had a wandering spleen. Look at the splenic artery coming down. Just a beautiful example of infarction of a wandering spleen. Patients with wandering spleens can present with pelvic pain, right lower quadrant pain, and again can infarct the spleen, which is a real surgical emergency. Beautifully shown here on the patient's cinematic rendering as well. Here's another case of back pain. Look at the upper abdomen. You see the stomach well distended. You see the uh, spleen. Wait a second. You don't see the spleen. You see the adrenal left. You see the left kidney. You see the stomach. Where's the spleen? Well, as you scan downward, there's some twisty vessels in the mesentery, and there's a mass in the pelvis. That's the spleen. It's not enhancing because it's infarcted. This is a um, wandering spleen. 
twisting on its axis with global infarction of the spleen and this pelvic mass, this patient underwent a splenectomy. So again, wandering spleens are unusual entities, but they can be challenging at times and a very, very important diagnosis. And we see that very nicely in this example. Now, as we look at splenic tumors, we recognize the majority of splenic tumors, whether we can prove it or not, are benign. Cysts, hemangioma, and hamartomas. Cysts, most of the time, are really tiny. They're often multiple. We end up saying too small to classify. Cysts can be larger, like in this case. Cysts may need to be resected if they get really large because they can cause mass effect, either pushing on the diaphragm or pushing on the stomach. But like renal cysts or liver cysts, water density well-defined, typically no enhancing wall. Occasionally, they'll have some rim-like calcification. Here it is on the volume rendering. Very nicely shown. Splenic cyst, no difficulty in diagnosis. Another example, left upper quadrant pain. The first thing you have to do in this case is say, is this a adrenal cyst or is it a pancreatic cyst? Is it coming off the stomach, the retroperitoneum, the mesentery, or perhaps the spleen? Well, here it looks like it abuts the spleen, surely. And this was initially worked up as a pancreatic cystic lesion. But when you start looking at the lesion carefully, you see the pancreas is compressed. It's not coming from the stomach or the kidney. And this ended up being resected, and it was coming off the spleen. It was very exophytic. It was epithelial cyst of the spleen, which is benign. And you can see how very large cystic lesions can be confusing. Sometimes the cysts are exophytic rather than intraluminal or within the borders of the spleen, and those cases can be tricky. We know cysts can be single or they can be multiple. When they're multiple like this, I always am concerned when I first look at it to make sure I'm not dealing with sarcoid or lymphoma. But again, the cysts are typically water density, while the others are solid density. But you can see how much of the spleen is replaced and how the size varies from a few millimeters to a few centimeters. So multiple splenic cysts. And here it is again on the coronal view, a leave alone lesion, no increased incidence of malignancy or splenic rupture. Now, when you talk about multiple splenic lesions, as I just showed you, cysts is in the differential diagnosis, so is hemangiomas. Hematomas are usually solitary. Lymphoma can be solitary or multiple lesions. Mets, of course, can be solitary or multiple. Abscesses, same story, but especially if you think about fungal abscesses, candidiasis or aspergillosis in immune compromised patients, those are typically multiple tiny lesions, so they are numerous. And infarcts can go anywhere from global to segmental, and you could have multiple segmental infarcts present. When I think about cystic splenic lesions, I showed you an epidermoid cysts. We could think about old hematomas. We could think about just post-traumatic cysts, which probably is the result of an old hematoma. We can think of cystic degeneration of an infarct. We can think about an abscess, though usually the borders are irregular. Lymphoma can be somewhat cystic, but usually it's more solid. And metastasis can be cystic, but then there's typically some rim enhancement or a thickened rim to them. Now, pancreatitis is one of the causes of splenic pseudocysts that look like cysts. What typically happens, patients with repeated episodes of pancreatitis 
have pseudocysts and fluid and inflammation and attracts along the splenic artery and vein. Where the splenic artery and vein enter the spleen, there's a bare area, so fluid can track along and then will extend into the spleen, often as in this case of, of subcapsular cyst, pushing on the splenic tissue, just a really nice subcapsular collection, subcapsular fluid collections, old hematomas, but pancreatitis with pancreatic pseudocysts or fluid tracking in is one of the possibilities. Patients with subcapsular hematomas or subcapsular fluid collections are more likely to get spontaneous splenic rupture without any trauma or with trauma can easily rupture their spleen. And just a very nice example of that. Now, when I see dense calcification, be it the kidney, the adrenal, or almost anywhere, I'm thinking about old hematomas, dense rim-like calcification. Yes, I could think of fungal disease or infection, but usually it's thin calcification and it's not circumferential. When you see thick circumferential calcification, it's typically an old hematoma. Now, hemangiomas. Hemangiomas in the liver 90% of the time have peripheral pattern of enhancement with filling in. Occasionally, splenic hemangiomas can do the same thing. Most of the time, they don't. They mainly are hypodense or hyperdense and stay that way across phases. Occasionally, they have punctate calcifications. So it's not the easiest diagnosis to always make. The truth is, most of the time, they're incidental findings and you don't pursue them and you don't really have the final path. It's the most common benign splenic tumor, again, single or multiple. Multiple lesions are especially seen in some syndromes like Klippel-Trenani-Weber syndrome. Um, it's important to know that there are many other vascular lesions in the spleen besides hemangioma. They can be benign like hematomas, lymphangiomas, extramedulomatopoiesis, or SANE tumors. Very vascular tumors of the spleen can be malignant like angiosarcoma or metastasis. Lymphoma, myeloma, and METs usually are relatively more hypo, but can be hypervascular. So some examples, here's some hemangiomas on the early phase. You can see the lesions become isodense on venous phase imaging. That's a good pattern for hemangiomas. Here's another hemangioma in the right lobe or the posterior aspect of the spleen, very vascular. And as you go through it, it washes out over time, though there's still some blush, but the washout would be good for hemangioma. You can see it here again. And this case has sort of a donut configuration, one centimeter. Again, we talk about these type of hemangiomas in the liver. Here it is in the spleen. And again, you could think of other things. If the patient had METs, could this be a MET, a vascular MET from a neuroendocrine tumor? I guess theoretically the answer is yes. So it is not always gonna be the easiest thing, but the majority of cases are gonna be benign. And hemangioma, that would be a good example. Here's another hemangioma in the posterior right portion of the spleen. Slightly irregular, very bright peripheral enhancement. Here it is again on the volume views. Here's another hemangioma. Hemangiomas can calcify. They can get punctate calcification, as in this case. That's a good differential diagnosis point, but I will tell you the number of splenic hemangiomas with the spotty calcification is pretty infrequent. But if you see this appearance, you can make a home run diagnosis. 
Calcifications with hemangiomas can appear as central punctate or curvilinear or speckled in areas of thrombosis. Multiphase CT of a splenic hemangioma would typically show a hypoattenuating lesion on non-contrast, sometimes early peripheral enhancement, although this is not very common. Smaller lesions may show flash filling enhancement. So again, a range of appearances with hemangioma. Sometimes it's tough. Here's a lesion in the spleen. I can think of lymphoma. I can think of a hamartoma. There's some enhancement around the edge. The spleen is a little bit full. It's hard to call that a hemangioma with any definitive nature. Here it is again uh, on the cinematic. It's a solid mass. There's no two ways about it, fairly well defined. There's several masses present with the dominant mass, but that was a hemangioma. This one's a bit easier because you look at this, it has that puddling appearance, very vascular. It's not gonna be an angiosarc sarcoma. I'm gonna think about hemangioma. Here it is as you go from arterial to venous, kind of that rim enhancement, and the lesion begins to wash out. There it is really nicely shown on the cinematic rendering. There's the mass isolated from the rest of the spleen, beautifully shown on the cinematic rendering. Now I mentioned to you that Klippeltrinani Weber, which is an unusual entity, has cystic lung disease, has hemihypertrophy of the lower extremities as an example, also gets multiple splenic lesions, which are splenic hemangiomas. The appearance is very good for hemangiomas, but kind of good for cysts and kind of good for the differential of many things, but I'm not positive. Again, the history of KTW will make it easy to reach the diagnosis, but the spleen alone is not a perfect diagnosis. Oh yes, here's that patient's cysts in the lung, and in Klippeltrinani Weber, you can get spontaneous pneumothoraces, which this patient indeed, ha did indeed have. So they'll help you with the diagnosis. Now, the last common benign splenic lesion to talk about will be splenic hamartomas, but you know, we've covered a bunch of different things and we're running the full 18 minutes that I like to aim for talks. So why don't we stop here and let's pick it up with the last of the main benign lesions, splenic hamartomas, and I'll see you in a few minutes. If you like this video, make sure to subscribe to the CTSS YouTube channel. You can also visit us at ctss.com for even more videos, plus quizzes, pearls, protocols, and oh so much more. We're also in the App Store and have well over a dozen apps for iPhone and iPad, all completely free. Thanks for watching.